0: welcome back to half the battle i'm your host as always daniel levy and today we're going to be talking about ufc vegas 70 nikita Krilov versus ryan span because it's going down this saturday night live at the apex in las vegas nevada two of the most potent finishers in the light heavyweight division going at it in the main event because we got nikita Krilov who's 29 and 9 taking on ryan span who's 21 and 7 and currently they got it nikita krillov Minus 170, the comeback on Ryan Span is plus 145. So I just want to say something off the rip. You know, it's easy to sit here and, you know, talk about how these two guys are these big finishers and this and that. And, you know, some people might think it's hyperbole, but it's not. I mean, when we talk about Krilov, 29 wins. Out of those 29 wins, how many of those do you think uh, are finishes? It's actually 27 of his 29 wins have come inside the distance. And with Ryan Spann, of his 21 wins, how many of those you think are finishes? 18 of Ryan Spann's 21 wins are finishes. So, I mean, let's check what the fight doesn't go the distance line is real quick, out of curiosity. Yeah, okay. So, (laughs) fight doesn't go the distance right now. I mean, you're looking at minus 1,100 on FanDuel. You're looking at minus 700 on BetOnline. You know what's funny? On on, uh, bestfightodds.com, if you look at the props, under Caesars, it has fight goes decision like minus like fifty thousand or something. It has fight doesn't go to decision uh, plus eight thousand. Those are obviously fake lines, but I know there's gonna be at least one fucking person who tracks like that fight doesn't go to decision plus eight thousand on their on their uh, thing. Don't don't be that guy, okay? Do not be that guy. But let's talk about this main event because this is unbelievable. I mean. Literally, Nikita Krilov has been in the UFC a long ass time. This is actually his second stint with the company, and it's his first ever UFC main event. Ryan Spann got to do a main event before Nikita Krilov. So it's good to see a guy in Nikita who has been like a hardcore fans' favorite for a very, very long time. And it's because of how this guy fights. I mean, he really is killer be killed. Like it wasn't until, I believe, the Glover Teixeira fight, which we're talking. 32 fights deep into nikita's career then he finally went to his a decision and then he goes to a decision his very next fight against johnny walker and then his very next fight against mago and khalif and you know besides the vulcan fight those are the only decisions that nikita's ever been to ever so nikita's a guy that he's got kind of a kyokushin karate background standing so you're going to see these interesting combinations where you're going to see You're going to see a punch with the right hand followed by a head kick with the right leg. You're going to see punches with the left hand followed by kicks with the left. It's basically same side punches, same side kicks. He's got this thing called the windmill where he's very economical in his motions of how he strings his punches to his kicks. But then, I mean, this is not Kyokushin karate. This is MMA. He's able to go in there, mix in entries to those takedowns. And when this guy gets on top of you, I mean, he's got very heavy top control. He's got a plethora of submissions. the only issue is that Nikita and this is an issue as a betting man this is not an issue as a fan as a fan there is no issue with Nikita krilov. as a fan Nikita krilov is perfect. as a fan I mean you gotta thank God for the creation of Nikita krilov but as a betting man um sometimes his killer be killed mentality gets him in trouble. And that could very well be the case here because Ryan Spann is an opportunistic finisher. Ryan Spann has one of the nastiest guillotines, probably the nastiest guillotine in the light heavyweight division. Not to mention, the guy's got one punch knockout power. He's six foot five. I mean, he literally missed weight for his last fight at 205. That's how big this dude is. And he's got that 82 inch reach. So what I love about, you know, we've talked about this so many times how, these emerging light heavyweights, these are the guys that I wanted to see Johnny Bones Jones fight, you know, because I, I remember when John Jones was champ, and we're going to talk about it next week when, when he fights Cyril Gahn. The days of John Jones being 10 years younger, you know, six inches taller, having a 10 inch reach advantage over everyone, those days are long gone. Like, John Jones is no longer the young cat, you know, schooling the old guys anymore. When we see John Jones next week, he's about to. I believe he's older than gone. So I'm just saying man like this new era of light heavyweights like I just wish John Jones got to fight Jamal Hill. I just the last time, you know, the last kind of new era esque guy that John Jones got to face was uh Dominic Reyes and at the time Reyes was doing his thing, but Reyes never came back the same ever again after the Jones fight. And credit to Ryan Span because you know, I actually bet on Reyes in the Span fight, which was probably my worst bet of last year, but my whole reasoning and This was a rookie mistake. I was like, well, listen, man, I mean, the only guys to get Dominic Reyes out of there are champs. I mean, you know, he went the full distance with Jones. He, you know, oh, but he got knocked out by Yuri and Jan. You know, those are two champs. Like what's Ryan Spann got on those guys? And Ryan Spann goes out there and finishes Dominic Reyes quicker than Yuri Prohaska, quicker than Jan Blahovich. And we know Jones, that Jones fight fucked with him mentally. But basically what I'm trying to get at here is this. You got to lean Krilov if this is an extended fight, because I do think, um, you know, that last fight he had against uh, Volcan, that first round was chaos, man. I mean, Nikita was getting rocked, but his composure was there. He was able to secure some takedowns. He was able to extend it. And in an extended fight, which is something I didn't know, Nikita thrives, which is funny because at the beginning of the show, I was talking about how Nikita's a guy who's got uh 29 wins and 27 of those wins are inside the distance but he's been proven that the guy can go the distance too the guy might actually have a nice little long game going for him too so i think that the longer this fight goes the more it does favor nikita kurlov but what i'm worried about and i'm not trying to be one of these guys who's like well either guy can win by knockout submission or decision and then act like i gave you all the most genius breakdown ever but this is literally one of those spots where I mean, I can see Nikita Krilov shooting on a sloppy takedown early, getting guillotine. I can also see Nikita Krilov tagging up uh Span get him to shoot on a sloppy takedown and you choke him out. So I can see the submission early on either way, but I'm more inclined to believe if it is an early finish that it's gonna be uh it's gonna be Ryan Span guillotining Nikita if it's an early finish, an early submission rather, early knockout, hmm. That's tough. That's really tough because it's like we got kind of the head kicks of Nikita Krilov versus, I guess, the straight punches of Ryan Spann. And that's such a black and white way to talk is like Nikita Krilov knocked out Alexander Gustafsson with hands. So on on the on the Spann side of things, I made one of my worst bets of the year betting on Dominic to, to beat Ryan. But I made one of my best bets of the year betting on Nikita to take out the ghost of Alexander Gustafsson. And that was easy work i mean he just went out there and just got him out of there real quick so this could be one of those round of the year type fights where they just have that insane one round fight almost like ryan and and anthony smith had like ryan and anthony smith had like a one round brawl and the only thing though is like it's easy to watch that ryan span and anthony smith fight and be like yeah i mean like if you just kind of push this guy a little bit he'll break maybe it's true maybe it's not true but the thing about it is like him and, Ron, him and Anthony Smith were talking all kinds of shit to each other going into that fight. So, you know, there was a lot of ego on the line, and sometimes when you're fighting with ego, you're more susceptible to gassing. Maybe that was the case, or maybe uh, Anthony Smith just, just truly took his soul that night. But here against Nikita, I mean, I really do see them just coming out here and, and just getting after it and seeing who the more dominant man, who's the alpha between these two. So I think it's Nikita i really do it's just that when you got the physical attributes and the danger that ryan span brings to the table you can't sit here and act surprised you can't sit here and act like uh you know like he gets a guillotine he gets a knockout you you, you can't you can't act surprised the guy's dangerous and I, I saw some people you know nitpicking his record saying you know he hasn't fought anybody he hasn't been impressive and, and and i get that but like look at the way he's handling these dudes when he wins i mean when this dude wins he wins pretty clean man uh that reyes fight absolutely clean the iwan kutalaba fight clean the misha sirkuna fight clean sam alvey fight not so clean um but i think the sam alvey fight was a case where it's like look dude you're a minus 600 favorite you think it's a joke before the fight even starts alvey's on this ridiculous losing streak if you watch ryan span's walkout during the alvey fight He's got, like, his sunglasses on. He's, like, rapping to the music. The dude was acting like he already won the fight before it even started. He thought that uh, that Sam Alvey was this big joke because, I mean, quite frankly, between you and me, Sam Alvey was this big joke at the time. So that's kind of my thing. I think Ryan Span thought, oh, I'm just going to get this guy out of there in 30 seconds, and we're going to go uh, to the nightclub, uh, you know, at the, at the after party. And I think that once it actually presented itself to be a fight, you know, he was kind of surprised by that. Whereas, there's no way he's training for a Nikita Krylov fight, thinking like, "Yeah, hey, I'm just gonna get Nikita Krylov out of there in 30 seconds." Like, he has to go to sleep every night knowing that like Nikita's coming for you, man. Nikita's gonna put it on you. Whereas, like, you go to sleep knowing that you're fighting Alvey on a seven fight losing streak. He's probably like yeah i don't need to i don't need to do my runs in the morning hey i can eat this extra slice of pizza like he was probably fucking off he thought it was this big joke it's no longer a big joke when you're fighting nikita kurlov and there's this whole talk about how ryan span said that this last fight was the first time he ever did a training camp guys talk is cheap that is such bullshit like i don't know the guy personally but that to me just sounds like remember when max holloway said he did uh a champ camp um on a Zoom call for the second Volkanovski fight and people actually believed him. Like, how fucking gullible are you, man? Like, Max Holloway did not do a champ camp via Zoom call, and Ryan Spann has not only trained for one fight in his life. Like, like, stop that bullshit, okay? Now, do I think he's probably training harder now than he ever has? Yeah, 100%. Um, you're also not fighting Sam Alvey anymore. You're fighting one of the most potent finishers, and honestly, in the history of the sport. So I expect Span to show up at his best. I expect him to make weight nikita first main event man it took you goddamn almost 40 fights for you to get your first main event and uh I, I expect both these guys to show out so it's one of those things where it's like let we do have to talk numbers reason being is this like i line nikita you know i i think he wins this cleanly six out of ten times so i uh, you know 60 percent i think he's a minus 150 so he's currently a minus 170 so I'm good. I don't need to bet Nikita here, and I'm a guy that's bet Nikita a lot throughout his career. It's just that is there really much value here? I just think he wins the six out of ten times. I think he, you know, there's forty percent chance he's getting caught here. Um, so honestly, it's a dog or pass situation. Pure pick. I'm gonna go with Nikita, but I, I'm I'm just not interested laying minus one seven. Like, where's my edge? Like, don't get me wrong. He might just come out here, and either guy can get that first round finish. And and if that's the case, then okay, then there was an edge, but. I don't know, man. I just see it being like one of those one round brawls where either guy can get finished and they're just getting after it. And, uh, you know, someone's going to be very sad on Saturday night. I'm not sure who it is. I'm going to pick Nikita to win, you know, because um, I do think he is the tougher guy if a fight gets extended. But there's no guarantee this fight gets extended. So I'm kind of running around in circles with this prediction just to let you all know that I'm picking Nikita Krilov, but I'm not betting him now. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division, we got Andre Muniz. He's 23 and four, taking on Brendan Allen, who's 20 and five. Currently, they got it. Andre Muniz minus 205. The comeback on Brendan Allen is plus 175. So, interestingly enough, this one actually opened a pick 'em. It opened minus 110 apiece. The steam came in on Andre, and I mean, I get it, man. Andre is one of the most disgusting black belts in the middleweight division, let alone in the in the UFC, right? Like this guy is absolutely nasty. Snap Jacare's arm, even in the Eric Anders fight. Like, dudes don't just come out there and run through Eric Anders. Like, usually when Eric Anders loses a fight, it's like, you know, a three-round fight where dudes are getting pushed up against the fence and this and that. And Even, like, when Eric's got his ass whooped, like, you saw how durable Eric was in that Khalil Roundtree fight. Like, Andre Muniz just goes out there, blast doubles Eric Anders and almost breaks his arm. It was like, God damn. And then, the last fight against Uriah Hall, very, very impressive. Reason being was this. You know, it's easy to just sit here and talk about how, oh, he just laid on him for three rounds. What a boring this. Nah, dude, that's not what, hey, Andre Muniz outstruck Uriah Hall first, and then when he wanted to take him down, he did take him down. So Andre Muniz is going to take down Brendan Allen. That much we can agree on. It's just what happens after that. I think that Brendan Allen is extremely talented, and I think that Brendan Allen hasn't even scratched the surface of his potential yet. And this is a guy that's been fighting for a long time. He's been paying his dues forever. I mean, forever, ever, ever. We were just talking about Eric Anders, right? Brendan Allen was fighting Eric Anders on his regional scene. Brendan Allen was fighting Ryan Span on his regional scene. Fluffy Hernandez. So, I mean, he was fighting some real good, some real dudes. Trevin Giles as well. So, um, actually, I think I'm wrong about Ryan Span. He, he didn't fight Ryan Span, did he? One of, one of these other guys fought Ryan Spann on the regional scene. Maybe it was Trevin Giles, but I retract uh, saying that Ryan Spann was on his record, but I do not retract Eric Anders, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. Um, so he was in there with some really good dudes was uh, Brendan Allen on his regional scene. And he's always had that style where I always said that once this dude's a black belt, it's going to really translate because he was trying to do the same shit he does now as like a purple belt, right? Which, you know, I'm a purple belt too. I love it. but like. You know, at the UFC level, there's gonna be black belts everywhere, and this and that. So for him to implement his style, I needed him to to upgrade to that black belt. And now that he is that black belt, I mean, when's the last time you saw Chris Jocko get choked out? I mean, not since Chris Jocko's UFC debut against uh what Magnus blad was that was that the last time uh Jocko got choked out, right? Let me let me look that up real quick. Yeah, it was it was uh Jocko's second UFC fight against Magnus blad in 2014 was the last time uh, Chris Jocko got choked out. And Brendan Allen was out there. I mean, let, we can talk about the choke. It was a beautiful Mata Leon rear-naked choke. But let's talk about that body kick. Absolutely disgusting. But we also have to talk about how easily uh, Brendan Allen went to his back early in that Jocko fight because I know for a fact he's going to go to his back here against Andre Muniz, just like he went to his back against Jacob Malkoon, against Jaco, against a lot of these guys. The thing is that... What's going to happen from there? And that's what I cannot wait to see. Like, is is Brandon Allen's ego so big that he thinks like, I'm going to submit Andre Muniz or is it going to be a case where it's like, hey, let's survive the bad spots on the ground. Let's make this guy use all of his energy. And then when we get back up on the feet, let's light him up because I do think that Brendan Allen is a lot cleaner standing than Andre Muniz. Also, Andre Muniz... Similar to Allen, um, has taken his fair share of knockout losses back in the day. You know, um, what's the name of the Russian that knocked out, um, um, who's the kid that fought Down Jung? Devin Clark. What's the name of the Russian that knocked out Devin Clark a fight ago? Mirzikanov? Mirzikanov, the one that knocked out Iwan Kutalava. They had like their geese and their shorts on a little Sambo match. So Mirzikanov also knocked out Andre Muniz back in the day and like under a minute too. So yeah, I'm just saying, um, Interestingly enough, Brendan Allen is live for a knockout here. What I want to know is what happens in these grappling exchanges. Like, because I do think positionally speaking that Muniz is going to be more dominant. But I also think, like I alluded to, if Brendan Allen can survive these early, you know, this early jujitsu storm and make this guy work, make this guy think that he has a submission, make him, you know, make him use all his energy. And from there, you can take over in that second and third round, make the takedowns a little bit harder to come by. And just make him work for everything. Um, so there is a path to victory for Brendan Allen. But the reason I'm leaning with Muniz is because just how easy it is to get Allen to the mat. So I already know for a fact Muniz is getting takedowns here. Like I, I haven't been so sure of anything in my life. Watch Muniz <laughs> come in here and try to bang with uh, Brendan Allen, right? But I, I just really think Andre is going to get these takedowns easily. Um, but I don't have confidence what happens after that because. Like, man, if I if Brendan had Bilal's fight IQ, man, I'd be betting Brendan here. Because sometimes the thing with Brendan is he's just a kid. I, I don't think people realize, look, he's had 25 pro fights. He's only 27. I, I know he's been around the game a long time. You'd think he's 32. You'd think he's 33. He's only 27. So you're still going to be making these leaps. If this is finally his time, like, it's a winnable fight. It's just can I rely on Brendan Allen to be smart out there? Because like you look at his fight with Sean Strickland, you look at his fight with Chris Curtis and like, yeah, did he have moments in both those fights? Sure. But his ego got the best of him. Like he's letting the dudes in the corner have conversations with him in the middle of the fight. Like you're not even focusing on your opponent. You're focusing on the corner, man. Like, so hopefully those were learning lessons and going forward, you know, he can come out here, learn from those mistakes because you have a winnable fight, but, Due to the fact that Brendan, you know, what I've seen on tape, I know it can be fixed, but until I see it fixed, it's gonna be hard for me to pick him in this uh specific fight. So for that reason, I'm gonna pick Andre Muniz via unanimous decision. Um, but there is a path to Brendan. So there is a path, Brendan. Let's see, let's see if you're smart enough. Maybe not even smarter, let's see if you're good enough, you know, because there's black belts and then there's black belts right you know brendan is a black belt but andre is like a fourth degree black belt there's there's a big difference between their black belts but there's a path to brendan for brendan here let's see if he uh let's see if he can capitalize but i'm gonna pick andre muniz via decision all right next up the featured bout we got augusto sakai he's 15 and 5 taking on dante almez who's 9 and 4 currently they got it augusto sakai minus 135 the comeback on dante Mays is plus 115 so <coughs> excuse me so I understand the narratives going into this fight. That a couple of years ago, Augusto Sakai would have been, you know, minus two hundred, minus two fifty, minus this, minus that. You know, he would have been a big favorite in the spot because at one point, Augusto Sakai was one of the emerging heavyweights. You know, he had knocked out Marcin Tibera, um, knocked a couple guys out, right? So people were looking at him like, "Hey, like, this is a dude that you know could potentially do some big things." and Man, he just hasn't been the same, you know, ever since that over he got that over main event. And ever since then, he's been getting knocked out every single fight. So, you know, on one hand, you can look at the level of competition and be like, hey, man, these dudes that have been out that have been coming out here knocking out Sakai are on a completely different level than Dante Mays 100%. But I made that mistake when I bet on Dom Reyes to beat Ryan Span. I was like, dude. Okay, I get that he's been losing, but, like, John Jones, Yuri Prohaska, Jan Blachowicz, these guys are champions. What's Ryan Spann got, right? And then Ryan Spann finishes him, him quicker than Geary and Jan did, right? So all I'm trying to say is that damaged goods are damaged goods. So, you know, it, it's a situation where I think that Sakai is lacking confidence. I think Sakai is lacking chin. But I think that, you know, there's questions about the heart of Dante Mays. Um... There's questions about the intelligence of Dante Mays, man. I I think a lot of that is in question. I mean, Dante Mays, a couple of fights ago, he arguably lost to Rokey Martinez, man. Like, that is not a good look for the UFC level. So, you know, he gave us that great highlight when he was humping that dude's face and this and that. It was hilarious, ha-ha. But, like, and maybe, you know, if you're betting on Mays, I know you hope he does that here. Maybe he does. Sakai can't wrestle. Sakai's got... A confidence issue now coming off four straight knockout losses. His chin is in question. So what do we what do we expect from Dante? The thing about Dante is, like, let's not even talk about the Rokey Martinez fight that was 50-50. Let's talk about back in the day. Snoop Dogg said Dontale mays wasn't invited to the gang fight. Like, Snoop Dogg wouldn't just say some shit like that unless there was some reasoning behind it. And I know that that sounds kind of funny, haha, but, like, what that really means is that this guy ain't that good of a fighter. And, um... I believe that to be true. I, I really do. He's just a big physical dude. You know what I'm saying? He's a guy, he's six foot six. He's got the 81 inch reach. He's a big boy. He can bang a little bit, you know? So Sakai's got to be careful, man. But Sakai's got kind of like a calculated technical Muay Thai style. And if, you know, Dante stands with him, Dante could crack him. But more often than not, I think Sakai, you know, is just a little bit too skilled for Dante in that realm. But Dante starts mixing in some takedowns. Not that he's some stud wrestler. He's absolutely not a stud wrestler, as you guys know, but he's a better wrestler than Sakai. So there is a path, but I'm going to pick Sakai. No bet. I, I am betting a dude that, you know, that's coming out four straight knockout losses. I, I've learned my lesson doing some shit like that. So my pick is Sakai. No bet. Next up in the flyweight division, we got the return of Tatiana Suarez, who's 8 0, taking on Montana De La Rosa, who's 12 7, and 1. Currently, they got it tatiana suarez minus 750 to come back on montana's plus 550 so look a couple years ago this line i agree with a couple years ago because a couple years ago tatiana was on that upper trajectory and a lot of people thought that you know she could be a future champion interestingly enough so i'm not trying to sound like a hater or anything because i do like tatiana excuse me (coughs) i do like tatiana and She's got a very inspirational story. I mean, she's a cancer survivor. Like, how can you not respect her? So, I respect the fuck out of Tatiana Suarez. But I was actually never one of those people that thought that she was a future champion. I really wasn't. And reason being was this: I always thought she had, you know, very, very dominant grappling. I mean, she does. That's not. That's not an. Uh, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. Hold on a second. But. I've always thought that Tatiana Suarez stand up was extremely suspect. I've thought that since day one, man. And I mean, I guess the little evidence we have is that third round against Nina um, Ansaroff. But like we haven't seen Tatiana in a long ass time. So is she going to be as dominant as she once was? I mean, if she is, this is a good matchup for her because Montana is kind of easy to take down. And she is a bit of a grappler herself, more of a jujitsu uh, fighter. Which you know, I love my jujitsu, but I think a solid wrestling game beats kind of a solid jujitsu. This ain't world class jujitsu that um, Montana has. It's just kind of you know solid jujitsu. Um, and I think I think uh, Tatiana's grappling can neutralize Montana. But I actually think this is one of those fights where Montana actually has an advantage standing, which you don't often see. This is one of the few times where Montana is going to be better than her opponent standing. So if she can stuff some takedowns, there is a path. But ultimately, you know, if Tatiana is anything like she once was, I think she's going to get those takedowns. But um, I know it's a minority opinion, and I know I might sound like a hater saying it. I'm not a hater. I love Tatiana. Cancer survivor, you got all my respect. But I was never one of the people calling her a future champion. I called Jamal Hill a future champion, and I was right about that. I said Bilal Muhammad is going to fight for a world title, and I will be right about that. It hasn't been proven yet. But I, ne- I never said anything about Tatiana Suarez being a future champion. Um, I still think that the jury is out. Um, the jury's not out on her grappling, but the jury's out on her stand-up. And nowadays, this ain't like a few years ago when Carla Esparza was champ. And, you know, it is it, 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 actually, Carla became a two-time champ, which is fucking insane, considering how one-dimensional she is. But nowadays, like nowadays if you want to be a champ in the women's divisions i mean why lee is well-rounded why lee can do it all you move up a weight class to um flyweight you got valentina i mean i know she's showing some weakness in her grappling but she can still grapple don't 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 let you know it fool you that she lost a couple rounds here and there she can still grapple and then up another weight class you got amanda who's choked people out who's knocked people out so like what i'm trying to say is that to be a champion in the women's divisions in 2023 you must be well-rounded and i don't have any evidence whatsoever that tatiana is a well-rounded fighter i know she's a very dominant grappler and that's probably going to get her a victory here but you know i'm not interested at minus 750 and everyone calling her a future champ maybe you're right but i was never on that bandwagon back in the day and i'm not on that bandwagon now but that being said this is not a title fight so who cares and she should be physical enough and dominant enough to get this one done. But moving forward, we'll we'll have to see. We'll, we'll have to take a matchup by matchup. Um, but some of y'all are more sold on her than I am. So, anyways, I got Mont. Excuse me, I got Tatiana here, uh, probably by decision. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got an all Canadian violence matchup. We got Mike Malati's eight one and one taking on johan Leness who's nine and one currently they got it mike malott minus 215 the comeback on johan Leness is plus 185 this is a tough one because it's like so mike malott dude is jujitsu is disgusting man i mean that guillotine he hit on contenders against uh uh shimon i mean i know shimon's a can but like still man like and shimon is a can can like if you all watched shimon's uh fight since then on the regional scene dude yeah um we're We're trying so hard to set up my boy Robert Hale with a, a fight with Shimon because hey, a contender series vet under your resume, like, you know, look out for my boy Robert Hale. he might get signed here soon, but anyways, so the dude, Mike Malat fought on contender series, Shimon, he sucks <laughs> no offense, for UFC standards, I mean, right uh, so but Mike got a Mike handled him like he sucks. Mike treated him in a way where it was like, kid, like. You know, pack your bags and run along. You know what I'm saying? That was a nasty guillotine. And then his fight with Mickey, you know, the early exchanges, Mike was lighting up Mickey. Then it looked like Mickey was starting to put on Mike, you know, even busted up Mike's face a little bit. Mickey got a little bit reckless, got a little bit carried away. And Mike caught him with a disgusting counter and face planted him. And I mean, Nick, Mickey's a dude that went three with Randy, went three with Mike Perry. Like, you know, Mickey might not be the best, but Mickey's a tough dude. And Mike starched him. Now, granted mickey did get carried away he saw the blood on malada and he started going after him charged him recklessly got hit with a beautiful counter so that was nice now here with johan johan's at an interesting place in his career because right now i feel like he's figuring things out mentally right if you go back to johan's regional scene dude he was running through everybody i mean he'd knock dudes out he'd tap dudes out he could wrestle on his regional scene like johan reminded me of like a canadian matt brown which is a big compliment, right? Like, Matt Brown, one of the violence kings, the violence king of the welterweight division. I mean, the most finishes in welterweight history. Johan reminded me of, like, a welterweight Matt Brown, just, like, kind of a, a grizzly dude who's going to get in that clinch, fire off some big elbows. Like, when he hits dudes, they feel it. They they remember when they got hit by Johan Leynes, win, lose, or draw. Like, even the Gabe Green fight. I know the ending, you know, wasn't the prettiest thing in the world in terms of Johan's standpoint, but, like, up until then... If you had a bet on Gabe Green, you were sweating that shit, man. I mean, he was putting it on Gabe Green, and then he kind of gassed badly and then ate a body shot, a body shot when you're gassed. Oh, my God, I can only imagine. He probably shat his pants. But then the next fight, he made an overcorrection, right? Like So he came out hard in that Gabe Green fight, just like he did in all his regional fights, just going out there trying to take your opponent out from the second the ref says go. But when it finally didn't work against Gabe Green, someone stood up to the bully. It messed with him mentally to a point where his very next fight I mean, the guy's gun-shy. The guy's hesitant. And I bet on Johan, his last fight against Darian Weeks. And it was a sweat. I thought we edged it, but it was a sweat. But I will say this. To Johan's credit, Darian Weeks, even though he doesn't win UFC fights, for some reason, all the dudes that have fought him have looked their worst when they fought him. Like, he goes in there with Brian Barberena and, like, lands over 100 significant strikes and four takedowns against Brian Barberena. He goes in there against Ian Gary. And Ian clearly wins the fight, but it was like, you know, the least impressive performance of Ian Gary's UFC career. And then Johan, you know, Johan looked gun shy. Johan looked like he was questioning himself. So Darian Weeks, he might not win UFC fights, but he's tough to look good against. So I'll give uh, Johan credit there. But this is a different matchup, you know, because Mike Malat is not going to just try to pin you up against the fence and, you know, try to make the crowd boo and try to bore everyone to sleep, kind of like Darian Weeks does. You know, Darian Weeks kind of tries to kind of like neutralize the fight, right? Pin Ian Gary up against the fence, take Barbarena down and lay on him and then make Johanna look gun shy, but like nothing comes back in return. So what I'm trying to say here is that Mike Malat's not going to fight like, you know, like a Jordan Levin. Mike Malat's going to, he's going to fight like a grown ass man where it's like either you're going to fall or I'm going to fall and someone's gonna hit the deck let me check what the fight doesn't go the distances i'm actually curious now that i brought that up so yeah okay so fight doesn't go the distance minus 280 for this fight um it opened minus 215 so kind of what i thought i, I think think might even could be a little bit higher um you know johan's last fight you know i see someone mentioned he only threw 20 he only landed 23 strikes like, I'm not going to debate that, but like, I don't really believe that uh, Darian doubled him up on strikes. I think that sometimes the counters are a little off in certain things, but I did think the more significant shots were landed by Johan, but I agree, Johan did not look good in that fight, period. My dog is fucking barking and going crazy. Does that mean that uh, Johan's live here? So I-, I don't know because it's like we've never really seen Mike pass the first round, and I kind of think that there's certain suspect things about mike's game i think technically speaking on the feet he's fun to watch and he can hurt a lot of guys he has hurt a lot of guys but i also think he can be clipped man you saw that renfro fight he got dropped he got rocked in that renfro fight but man the way that he found that submission was beautiful the mickey golf fight i felt like you know like i said the early exchanges went to malak then the next couple exchanges went to mickey and then malak clipped mickey while mickey was getting a little bit ahead of himself so I'm not sold on a lot at all, man. It's just that, you know, this dude Johan is basically looking himself in the mirror right now. He's trying to figure th- shit out. He doesn't know who he is right now because the Gabe Green fight, he was still on that 100 miles per hour Matt Brown game. This last fight, he looked gun shy, looked timid, didn't look like himself. So this next fight, I think we can see kind of a little in between for Johan. I think Johan's live is just, can I trust Johan to let his hands go? um and can i trust johan to not get submitted also i don't know i really don't malat if there's anything this dude can do he can finish a fight but so can johan Uh, i'm gonna go malat pure pick but i don't know man i think i think there's a chance it could be a dog or pass situation it's just it's tough for me to bet johan when i know that his confidence is you know he's, he's kind of figuring things out right now he's trying to see where to what is my style truly? You know, is he gonna come out here balls to the wall? Is he gonna come out here timid? I I just don't know. So yeah, I mean, you gotta love the matchmakers, man. I mean, two people are crying that you put two Canadian fighters in here. Fuck it, man. I mean, let, let's see who the better, let's see who the best Canadian welterweight is. I'm down. So I like it. I'll go Malat pure pick. Um, but suspicion that it might be a dog or pass situation. All right. Next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Eric, the Ghost Pepper, Gonzalez. He's 14-7, and seven, taking on Trevor Peak, who is seven and 7-0. Oh. And currently, they got it. Trevor Peak minus 190. The comeback on Eric Gonzalez is plus 160. And I, I'm just going to tell you all this right here, right now, on half the battle, Trevor is going to be a peak fade in the UFC. And I mean that. Um, it's just that here in this fight, You know, they really did dig (laughs) down to the bottom of the barrel. Um, So here's the thing with Trevor Peak. Back to the being a fan versus being a better. As a fan, how can you not love Trevor Peak? I mean, as a fan, the dude comes in there like if there's one thing about Trevor Peak, he's aggressive. He's going to get in your face. He's going to try to take you out. He's going to throw everything he has into every shot, almost like an early Johan Leynes before Johan had to take that setback. Peak is the guy that's going to go in there and try to take you out. So, entertainment wise, I love it. Betting wise, I don't love it because the guy is open to being hit. I've seen him rocked in multiple fights. I've seen him taken down. I've seen him in terrible spots. Um, So, Peak at minus 190, I'm not interested at all, man. And like the thing about this kid, Ghost Pepper, is this, man. So, Ghost Pepper, (sighs) it's tough because like, You watch some of his combate fights and they're really, really exciting fights. They're like these just Mexican brawls and you love to see it, but it's just tough seeing that shit translate at the UFC level. I think that Gonzalez lacks, you know, kind of the athleticism needed to to be at the UFC. He's a little bit uncoordinated. He's a little bit, you know, he'll fall into his shots. He gets rocked in a lot of fights, but. His credit, he is a tough Mexican, he can crack. It's just that when I've seen him crack dudes and wobble them, sometimes he gets carried away. And also on his regional tape, so I saw his fight with Humberto Bandanay, and I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, like, you know, this is a perfect fight to show your skills against you know, a dude that got cut from the UFC, a guy that went like one and four in the UFC. Go out there and and, and style on this guy. And Bandonet looked like a fucking seasoned vet against Ghost Pepper. So I'm just quite like Ghost Peppers really got to level up, man. Um, he is experienced, so you gotta give him that. And he can crack, he is a tough guy. It's just the lack of athleticism really gets me. The he's not the smartest guy, he doesn't make the best decisions when he's in there. So as a fan, I love watching him, but as a betting man, you know, because you see Trevor Peak minus 190. And like I said, Trevor is going to be a peak fade inside the octagon. So I can't wait to fade him. But then when I watched the tape on Gonzalez, I was like, so, Eric, so, so Trevor peak is probably going to win one UFC fight, this one right here. And then after that, we can talk about fading him. Will it surprise me if Eric gets the upset? No, because I do think Trevor is that vulnerable. Is that exposed when he fights? It's just like here at the UFC level, you cannot be that sloppy, man. I'm telling you. I mean, if you want to have longevity, I mean, you can come out here, have a fight of the night here and there, and then get cut three, four fights in. But I'm saying you want to be in the UFC this time next year um you got to clean some shit up so hopefully he has i'm gonna go trevor i think he's slightly more physical than ghost pepper but like i said trevor is going to be a peak fade in the ufc and uh i ain't laying no chalk on him period so yeah i'm good on that one now next up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between newcomer Gabriela fernandez she's eight and one taking on jasmine joss who's seven and two currently they got it Gabriela Fernandez minus 125. The comeback on Jasmine Jostivicious is plus 105. Um, so it actually opened minus 170. Jasmine. Uh, this is a tough one because it's like each fighter is good where the other one's weak, right? Like Gabriela. Now I heard people really hyping or striking. And when I watched it, I was kind of underwhelmed because I because when you hyped her striking, I was thinking like, oh, shit, I might have a new Yan Shao, man. I might have a new, you know, Marina Rodriguez. And it wasn't like that at all, man. I mean, you know, she's a little physical. You know, she, she's a thick girl, and, you know, she can put it on some of these lower-level opponents. But, man, the takedown defense, when I tell you that the takedown defense is not quite there, man, like, I mean, like, it's not quite there to a point where it's like there's no resistance on the takedown attempts. It's literally she'll go right to her back, and, Jasmine was like a credential wrestler in Canada. Not that that means much, but I think it means enough here to get takedowns. Because what you gotta understand is Gabriela does not have anywhere near the takedown defense of Natalia Silva. Natalia Silva is one of my favorite prospects in this division, right? So when when I heard that Jasmine was fighting another Brazilian striker, I was like, okay, this is this gonna be Natalia Part Two? This is not Natalia Part Two. um Gabriela, from what I can see, sometimes. The regional tape it doesn't tell the whole story. They come to the UFC and they perform on a different level that, than you hadn't seen before. So maybe that's the case here. But I don't see any signs of her being anywhere near as talented as Natalia Silva. And I think this is a spot where Jasmine can get takedowns and hold her down. It's just that on the feet, you know, if I were to bet Jasmine here, I'm going to be really pissed off when she's closing her eyes, when she's looking away, when she's not shooting takedowns and when she's giving this fight away. So that's why I'm not going to bet her, but I think I do have to pick Jasmine because I, the edge, the edge grappling is, is big enough here to where I think she can control her for two of the three rounds and get this decision. And I wasn't impressed enough with the standup to think that she's just going to bust up Jasmine. Um, like Natalia did. I think Natalia is actually a legit prospect. I don't think uh, Gabriella is, but I'm I'm open to being proven wrong, but as of right now, I'm going to pick Jasmine to win this via decision. Hey, everybody, do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. And if you're not already subscribed, please do me that favor and subscribe. Now, I'm excited to talk about this next matchup in the lightweight division between Jordan Levitt. He's 10 and 2, taking on Victor Martinez, who is 13 and 4. Currently, they got it. Victor Martinez minus, well, it depends where you look. If you look on DraftKings, we're talking minus 115 Martinez, we're talking minus 105 Levitt. If we're talking bet online, we're talking minus 114, Levitt. We're talking minus 106, uh, Victor. But anyways, friends do not let friends bet on grown men that twerk in UFC fights, period. Um, I got Victor Martinez here, and I'll tell you why. So what is Jordan Levitt known for? Jordan Levitt is known for is grappling, but like people overhype his grappling to a point, man. I mean, dude, Claudio Puelas out this guy. So, yeah, is Jordan Levitt's strength is grappling. It sure is, but to sit here and act like Jordan Levitt is some third-degree black belt, like one takedown and the fight is over shortly after, is the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard in my life. And you want to know who Victor Martinez' main training partner is for this fight? Victor Martinez's main training partner for this fight is Carlos Diego Ferreira, who is a legit third degree black belt, who is a guy that went out there and beat Gary Tonin in pure grappling. So, I mean, Victor's grappling with a way better guy than Jordan Levitt every single day. Not to mention, I have inclination to believe that Victor Martinez is actually a black belt under Carlos Diego Ferreira, which, you know, Carlos Diego ain't just ain't just out here handing out black belts. So. Honestly, I think Victor's got a better ground game than Jordan Levin. I know that sounds crazy because everyone thinks Jordan's this, you know, acting like he's uh, <laughs> like he's the, uh, you know, LGBT uh, um, Gordon Ryan. But, dude, no, he's not. No, he's not, okay? Like, you know, I know he's Nate Marquardt's favorite fighter, and I know uh, Nate's eyes are going to be glued to the TV when, when uh, Jordan fights, hoping for a little twerk, but... There ain't going to be no twerking Saturday night, man. I think that Victor Martinez is too physical for this guy. I think he's too well-rounded. Also, Victor went out there and landed the most strikes in contender series history. Now, when I heard that, I thought it was a little sus because I was like, there's no fucking way he landed over 140 strikes. Apparently, he did. So, listen, I'm not going to just disagree with the counters when I see fit and then agree with them when it helps my narrative. So I'll just go ahead and say... I disagree with the counters. I do not think that Victor Martinez actually landed 140-plus strikes in uh, that uh, that contender series fight. So that didn't seem to me like the most strikes landed in contender series history. But that being said, let's say he didn't land 140 strikes. Let's say he only landed 100 strikes. Let's say he only landed 110. That's more than Jordan Levitt's landed in any fight he's ever had. And Jordan Levitt's stand-up is laughable. I mean, he throws these... I mean, I honestly think some of y'all could have success sparring with Jordan Levitt uh, striking-wise. Maybe not grappling-wise. He'll he'll tap y'all out and then and then twerk. But uh, striking-wise, his striking is atrocious, man. I mean, throws sidekicks with nothing behind them. He's got no hands whatsoever. Doesn't like getting hit. Um, yeah, if he can submit you early, he'll be good. But I don't think he's going to come out here and submit a Carlos Diego Ferreira black belt early i think he's gonna have to pay for these ugly takedown attempts i think he's gonna have to pay for the fact that his game hasn't leveled up and you're in the ufc now bud so uh i'm going victor martinez here to to twerk on this guy man and uh i'm considering a bet here look dude at the end of the day no grown man that twerks is gonna win ufc fights long term and i stand by that and uh Give me the Carlos Diego Ferreira black belt to come out here and teach this guy a lesson. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I got Victor Martinez for the dub. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Ode Osborne. He's 11 and 5, taking on Charles Johnson, who was 13 and 3. And currently they got it. Charles Johnson minus 170, the comeback on Ode Osborne's plus 145. But it's also minus 151, Charles. bet online so interesting i like this fight a lot um joe asked me but v martinez gets taken down every fight yeah but he gets back up every fight too i mean the dude hasn't been submitted in how long like i mean every time i've seen him in a bad spot in the last few years he's escaped that bad spot pretty easily so if uh you know if the twerker can submit him then props to him man but yeah i don't see it happening against this level guy but we'll see Anyways, back to O'Day and Charles. I love this fight. So basically, Charles, I think Charles is one of the cleaner boxers in the flyweight division. Like, Ode Osborne can bang. Ode Osborne can, you know, he he can stand in the center. He can slug him out. But Charles Johnson can box for MMA. And there's a big difference between the two of them, you know? O'Day Osborne, really long both of them are really long actually charles is the 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 taller guy but ode's got that long ass reach for a flyweight he's got a 72 inch reach which is probably up there with the longest reaches in the flyweight division um and he's a very dangerous guy especially if you're one of these short stocky guys that you know is a little bit lacking in the athleticism department you know if you're if you're not quite on the ufc level and you're fighting ode osborne I mean, he's going to he's gonna tool bag you in a way where, like, I mean, you saw how he knocked out Zaruk Adashev as soon as he felt like it. You saw how the first punch he threw against Jerome Rivera just got him out of there real quick. Um, when, when he got taken down on contender series, you know, he did what he's done in a lot of his fights, you know, arm bars from guard. He's got triangles off his back. So, like, O'Day is a very athletic guy, and if you can't match him on athleticism – Man, uh Pobrecito, you know what I'm saying? O'Day will go out there and make you into a highlight reel. The issue for O'Day in this fight specifically is that not only can Charles match him physically speaking, I mean Charles is, you know, five foot nine with a 70-inch reach, which for flyweight standards, that's a big boy. But Charles Johnson is a very clean guy standing, probably one of the cleanest strikers in the flyweight division. And I mean, a guy that fights behind his jab, a guy that's got great volume, a guy that goes out there, you know, throwing those uh, those stabbing front kicks to the gut. His get up game is absolutely insane. I mean, Mokayev went out there, took him down like 20 times and Charles Johnson got up every single time. Charles Johnson was even attacking, you know, long man guillotines against Mokayev. i never seen Mokayev, you know, be like, oh, shit, like this guy might submit me like that power guillotine that. Charles Johnson had on Mokaya. Like, if that's any, if that's O'Day, he's getting the tap right there, man. And uh, I'm very impressed with Charles. And I think there's a big misconception. And you, y'all ready for this controversy I'm about to bring that your virgin ears aren't ready for? Um, That fight between Charles Johnson and Zagas was not a robbery in any way, shape, or form. Look, I get it. You know, it's fight night, you've had a couple drinks, you've been smoking pot, you have money on Zagas. So I get from that standpoint, you know, you're a little inebriated, so you didn't quite see things clearly. So you thought Zagas won. Look, we all make mistakes, but you go back and you rewatch that fight sober and you still think Zagas won? Well, then there's a problem because the first and third round, clearly Charles won. And there's a big difference in how their shots landed. Everything that Zagas was landing for the most part, you know, he did land a couple clean strikes, but for the most part, Zagas was throwing and hitting gloves. Zagas was hitting elbow, was hitting shoulder. Whereas when Charles was landing, I mean, you saw Zagas' head popping back. Like those were some clean strikes. The cleaner strikes were 100%, 100% landed by Charles in that fight. That fight was not a robbery at all. First and third went to Charles all day. And I rewatched it sober. I didn't have money on it the first time. I still got it 29, 28 Charles. First and third, baby. And I mean, you just cannot like if we sat down and we watched that fight together, there's no way you can give you there's no way you can uh, convince me that Zagas won that fight, man. You just can't. I mean, he he didn't. I mean, most of the shit he was landing was off the glove, off, off the shoulder, man. Like, so <laughs> Pink Freud said, but what if I'm still inebriated when I rewatch the fight? Well, hopefully you saw things more clearly that time, right? Because The cleaner shots were clearly landed by Charles Johnson. So I had a 29-28 Johnson. I did not see that being a robbery. But more importantly than that, Zagas, another one of these guys I was talking about earlier, where, like, he might not win UFC fights, but he's a tough out. Like Darion Weeks. When those dudes fought Darion Weeks, like Ian Gary. Like, even Ian Gary didn't look like a phenom against Darion Weeks. Like, for some reason, like Zagas and Darion Weeks, they don't win UFC fights, but they're a tough out. So he was a tough out. It was what it was. But here against O'Day, it's a completely different style fight. You know, Um, like I said, O'Day can bang. O'Day can crack. O'Day can knock dudes out. O'Day can brawl. But Charles can box for MMA. And that's the difference. And, um, you know, O'Day doesn't have much of an offensive takedown game. He doesn't have much of a a defensive one either. If you try to take O'Day down, he's going to play off his back, which – You know, I love dudes with good guards, but I don't see him guard subbing Charles Johnson. I mean, we just saw Charles Johnson in there with Jimmy Flick, who Jimmy Flick's got one of the best uh, guard sub games in MMA, and Charles was in his guard pounding him out, man. So um, I actually think the more we see Charles Johnson, the more he's going to get better. Like, he might actually, like, be one of the most underrated guys in this division. He's someone to look out for, and I love me some O'Day, and I've cashed him a few times against C.J. Vergara, where first two rounds, we, we scraped by those first two rounds, but boy, did we barely hold on that last round, right? <laughs> um, and I bet him there. I bet him against Jerome Rivera. Hey, you touched the worst guy in UFC history once and got him out of there. I appreciate it, but this ain't fun in games no more, man. Charles, like, if you get Charles out of there, hey, <laughs> tip, my cap to, tip my cap to you, bro, because, like, Charles, it's hard to hit Charles clean, let alone rock him. It's hard to keep Charles down, let alone take him down. So I think Charles is on a different level than Oday. Period. So for that reason, I'm picking Charles. And I'm hoping I can get a nice line on Charles. I'm hoping more action comes in on O'Day and I can get something. You know, I can get the number I want. So um Yeah. And we can talk about the Molina and Zagas fight later. Cause but that fight's irrelevant here. The only fight I'm talking about now is Zagas and Charles. And that was not a robbery, but and by the way, Molina and Zagas wasn't a robbery either, but that was closer. That was at least closer. Anyways, I, I got Charles Johnson to defeat O'Day Osborne. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Joe Selecki. He's 12 and 3, taking on Carl Deaton the third, who's 17 and 5. Currently, they got it. Joe Selecki minus 520. The comeback on Carl Deaton is plus 410. This is a great fight because. I'm very familiar with both these guys, not just UFC, but prior to UFC. Um, these guys were around my regional scene. Um, you know, Joe Selecki was supposed to fight my boy Robert Hale. Good on him, you know, for turning that fight down. Very smart decision. You know, that's a terrible fight for you, Joe. So smart career move. And then Carl Dean actually beat my boy Nate Williams twice. You know how I was talking about uh, when Don Shanice fought Jack Jenkins like two weeks ago? I bet on Jack Jenkins. I was telling y'all how my boy Nate Williams beat Don Shanice um now we got another fighter that he was in there with but this guy carl Dean beat my boy nate twice and the first one was like a competitive fight that came down to like one scramble but when they rematched and it went five rounds carl made incredible adjustments and put it on nate absolutely put it on him so carl he's been five rounds already in his regional this guy is about as experienced as you can get before coming into the ufc right so like with Carl, I'd be shocked if there were, like, debut nerves or, you know, this guy went out there and laid an egg or something like that. Like, I expect Carl uh, – and speaking of Carl's background, like, y'all see the hair and stuff like that. Um, The dude, I'm pretty damn sure he's, like, Native American. He's, like, part of a tribe. Like, he's a real, real badass dude. Like, he's a real prideful individual. He's intense. He comes to fight. I like Carl Deaton. Um, where I think that Carl Deaton is going to have issues at the UFC level is that he's not the most athletic guy. Like, he can grapple, but, like, you know, a more credential wrestler will take him down. And he's not the fastest guy standing either. But, like, again, he's just that solid, grizzly vet where, like, if you're not quite experienced enough, if you're, like, one of these random-ass 5-0 and guys coming into the UFC and you're taking on Carl Deaton, Carl's going to vet less than you. That's just the bottom line. But here against Selecki, a guy who does have experience, a guy who, you know, fought a tough regional scene, came into the ufc has been having success been in there with some studs i mean Joe's probably going to get these takedowns here also when you consider joe's level of jujitsu it's it, it's up there it's very very high level jujitsu i mean he's submitted some real guys in pure jujitsu um but stand-up wise joe has been getting better but you know joe's chin has always been a bit suspect you know he did get knocked dead by uh nicholas mata back to my boy robert hale my boy robert hale knocked out nicholas mata and nicholas mata knocked out joe selecki so i'm just very familiar with these guys you know I, i'm a go selecki but i don't you know when you talk minus 520 you know I, that's what i'd lie in joe selecki against some random 5 and 0 newcomer like let's take him down one time take his back and the fight's gonna be over shortly after not saying he can't tap out carl because joe's jujitsu is that good but like Carl's a tough out, man. Carl is not just a dude that lays down for anybody. Carl's going to come out here and, you know, he might not win this fight, but I still think he can go three hard rounds and, you know, have some moments here and there, right? So I'm going to go Joe Selecki, be a unanimous decision, but, you know, Dean's a tough dude. Like, Dean paid his dues. Like, there's no... You see these guys that come into the UFC all the time that just don't fucking belong. It's like... The hell is this guy doing in the UFC, right? Like last week, we were we were talking about that co-main event between Zach Pauga and Jordan Wright. We were talking about that featured bout between Pogues and Parisian. Even early on, some of these cards, like some of these random ass guys, like just they didn't pay their dues. They don't belong. Like they still need some more seasoning. That's not the case with Deaton. Deaton is a finished product, and he's solid. It's just that he's not the most athletic. He's just he's just a tough, grizzly, intense vet so i think it's gonna be hard to finish him but i do think Selecki wins the fight look i'm talking about a minus 520 favorite but the the reason that i'm going on a little bit longer than usual is because what like i said when i talk about a minus 520 favorite i want that one takedown and the fights over shortly after i want to go out there and embarrass this guy and i'm not saying that's not going to happen it's just from what i've seen from deaton He's a tough He's a tough cookie, man. The like, guy comes to fight, so I respect him. So I'm going to go select be a decision. Now, next up, also in the lightweight division, we got the debut of Narulo Aliyev. He's 8-0. He's actually representing Tajikistan. Um, he's not Russian. He's, he's Tajiki. He's taking on Rafael Alves, who's 20-11. and 11. Currently, they got a Narulo Aliyev, minus 180. The comeback on Rafael Alves is plus 155. So Narulo is not Russian. But he fights like a Russian, you know, so you guys already know what his game is. I mean, relentless grappling on top, nasty ground and pound on the feet, you know, not much volume, but does just enough to make things count. Just fights fights like your typical Russian. Rafael Alves is a wild card, man, because Rafael Alves is one of the most athletic dudes in the division. I mean, you see this dude dancing on his walk to to the octagon. Um, You saw that move in round three. He did that get up he had against Isma Gulov, where he did like a break dance move. Rafael's ridiculous, man. Rafael can do some shit that other guys can't do, athletically speaking. And also, uh, Rafael's got a nasty guillotine choke. He has got a ridiculous guillotine choke. He's also got one-punch knockout power, too. And he's been in there with tough guys in his UFC run. It's all been tough fights. I mean, Ismagulov, DeCasey, Dober. That's quite a three-fight run to to kick things off, right? So here against Narula, you know... Marcus brought up a good point. Marcus said, gathering intel and passing on this one. And I honestly think that that's a great take because it's like Nerulo isn't that experienced. We haven't seen Nerulo against anyone good. It's just that we hold Russians in high regard. Like last week, thank God I didn't bet that 23 0 Russian, but I pure picked him thinking that, like, hey, I've seen Russians come in here with padded records before and do amazing. And, you know, that dude did good for a round. And then, you know, the three year layoff showed itself, right? is not coming off a three-year layoff, but he's also got, like, less than half the experience of that other guy. The thing about it is this. Rafael Alves is an amazing hammer. When Rafael Alves, I mean, you give this guy your neck, he's taking it home. You stand and bang, you're a little bit too slow for him, he's knocking you out. But if you can stand up to him, take him down. Zap that energy. That's where I do think that you can break a guy like Rafael Alves. So, pure pick, I'm going to go Nerulo Aliev, but you know, based off lessons I've learned in the past, it's better to sometimes let these debutants do their thing. You take the intel like my boy Marcus was talking about and you pass. You just sit back and see where they're at. You know, and I've asked some people around the scene that are connected to the Russians, like what they think about Nerula, And they didn't really have much of a response to me. They were like, yeah, you know, I've seen them around the crew, but I haven't really seen them trained before. So I didn't get that inside information that I wanted on Nerula. But I do tend to pick guys that fight like Russians because long-term, it's a profitable angle. But it's just, look, if Nurula happens to be a fraud, Ra- Rafael, Rafael is uh, very athletic. Rafael is explosive. Rafael can do things other guys can't do. So, you know, you can't act surprised. But I'm going to go Narulo, take this guy down, zap his energy, get that ground and pound going, grind him out. So I'm going to go Nerulo for the win. Now, next up... In the Bantamweight division, everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. In the Bantamweight division, we got Haley Cowan. She's 7-2, and two, taking on Eileen Perez, who's 7-2. and two. So they're both 7-2. and two. Uh, Currently, they got it. You know, honestly, they're both 7-2, but Perez is really 8-1 and because in one of those losses, she got disqualified, but she beat the shit out of that girl. And it was actually Tamiris Vidal who got like a flying knee knockout in the UFC, so... In my eyes, Perez has actually beat a someone with a UFC win right Um so yeah, they got it Haley minus one thirty Eileen plus 110 um so basically, I think that Eileen Perez made an absolute fool of herself last time out man like uh you know it's one thing to have your gimmick with the twerking. hey, I ain't hating <laughs> or am I hating, right you know there's two twerkers on this car. Who's the better twerker? Aileen Perez or Jordan Levitt? Uh, I'm curious to see uh Nate Marcourt's response. You know, if you had to ask Nate Marcourt, hey Nate, who who do you genuinely think is the better twerker between Jordan Levitt and and uh Aileen Perez? You know, what do you think? And uh, you know, he'd have to put the veil over his eyes and pull out his Bible. But look, bottom line, I think that Aileen Perez made an absolute fool of herself last time. Reason being this: look, going into the face-off, okay, twerk, do your thing, haha, ha, all fun and games. But when you get absolutely embarrassed in your debut, the way she got embarrassed, I'm talking, you know, thrown around. You're known for being a physical grappler. You're getting thrown around. You're getting choked out the whole bit, and then you're twerking after that, and then and, and then you're talking about how you're the best in the division and like, girl, it'd be one thing if you were talking like that before the Edgar fight, but you're still talking like that after the Edgar fight, like she is a stunt waiting to happen. Now, to give her credit, she did move to uh, MMA Masters in Florida, so at least she got out of Argentina, where, look, I, I love Argentina, man. Uh, if you've ever dated an Argentinian uh, woman, you already you already know what time it is, bro. Like, You ain't winning an argument there, I'll tell you that right now, but uh, they're different, right, <laughs> in every way. But when it comes to fighting, man, yeah, she's going to be a stubborn chick, but she's her own worst enemy man i mean like you see the stuff she's posting man i mean it's like enough is enough right if you're this undefeated fighter talking that big game that's one thing who 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 was i talking about like last week where like um this fighter is like not even on a win streak and they're talking big and it's like what what are you doing like you you only talk like that like Oh, Alexander Hernandez. And then he actually went out there and won. But Alex was humble last week. So props to him. And thank God I didn't bet Jim. Thank thank you everybody for not letting me get the number I wanted on Jim's. I-, I gotta I gotta give you guys a lot of credit because if I had gotten the number I wanted on Jim, I would have bet him. Um, but I didn't. So thank you guys very much. Back to this. Look, Haley Cowan, I forgot where I heard this. I heard someone say she's like a dollar store Holly Holm, and I can totally see it. You know, she literally is a preacher's daughter. Um, she's a nice Christian girl. Goes in there, you know, and Holly Holmes known for her kickboxing. But if you actually watch Holly Holmes' fights, most of them take place in the clinch, which is where most of Haley Cowan's fight, uh, fights take place. Has that nice wizard kick, you know, is a little bit heavy on top. Not quite convinced she won her contender series fight, but it was against kind of a tough opponent. So maybe it was just a stylistic thing. And I think going forward, she can be better. Um, she just got to be careful because she gives up a lot of bad positions. And you know, she paid for it a couple fights ago when she got choked out by a random. She gave up that exact position on a contender series fight, but she was able to actually survive it this time. And with Eileen, you know, on her regional, like she was known for being very physical and just having no stand up whatsoever, but she was able to grapple every single person she fought on like gym mats and tap them out. Hey, I ain't hating, man. You know, it's cool that Argentina's even throwing fights together, so I, I respect it. Um, here. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm going to go Haley Cowan via decision because I do think she has more potential, but like, can I sit here and act surprised if she gets out grappled, which I've seen happen before. I've seen her get submitted before. No, I cannot, but, uh, but she seems more focused. She seems more serious for that reason. I'll pick her, but just a pick, not a bet. My pick is Haley Cowan. Now, last but not least in the life and the Bantamweight division, excuse me, we got, jose johnson he's 15 and 7 taking on garrett armfield who's 8 and 3 currently they got it garrett armfield minus 150 the comeback on jose johnson is plus 135 uh this is a tough one because firstly do y'all know what jose johnson's amateur record is let me tell y'all real quick and uh, what it says on Tapology is not correct okay on topology let me see what it says on topology so on topology it says on topology it says he's like yeah he was like what 24 and 13 as an amateur or 24 and 12. I heard an interview with him. He said he was 68 and 12 as an amateur. So this dude has been fighting a long, long time. And if you hear his story, it's very, very inspirational. He's a guy that's overcome a lot. He is truly the definition of paying your dues because like, okay, so I mentioned the 68 and 12 amateur record, but who did he fight as an amateur? This dude was out there fighting dudes that are on this fucking card as an amateur. He fought, uh, Charles Johnson as an amateur, like, that is pretty damn dope man that is pretty fucking dope like hey respect it man you've paid your dues kid you crushed the grapes now we drink the wine right you know uh look garrett armfield i like him he's a short stocky you know if you're not quite on garrett armfield's level man he can start you in the first round he can take you down he's got heavy top control he can submit guys i mean i like the kid this is an interesting fight because jose is a lot more experienced but jose also loves to not stuff takedowns also loves to get in bad positions but credit to jose he's gotten a lot better about you know fighting out of those bad spots he's still going to give up the bad spots he's still going to give up takedowns gives up his back but he's gotten better about you know defending submissions reversing position and on the feet he's very dangerous you know He's extremely long for bantamweight. You don't see bantamweights this long. We're talking six foot, you know, six one versus five six, right? So it is imperative for Garrett Armfield to get this fight to the mat ASAP. And Garrett Armfield, to his credit, man, he's been training at uh, Sanford MMA or Kilcliff now is what they're called. And Garrett Armfield is actually bringing Ronnie Lawrence with him to corner him. Ronnie Lawrence actually fought both these guys, beat both these guys but Garrett is actually trading with Ronnie now. He's going to have Ronnie in his corner in his corner, you know, Ronnie beat uh, Jose on contenders. So that's cool. You got a good look there. Um yeah, I'm not sure because it's like Jose Johnson extremely dangerous and you bang with this guy for enough time like unless you got that one hitter quitter like Mana Martinez, he's probably going to light you the fuck up. His kicking game is nasty. He fights behind his jab, big knees. You know, you start to shoot some sloppy takedowns on him. Like, don't don't be surprised if there's a long man guillotine waiting for you now that, especially now that he's been, you know, tightening up. I say tightening up some parts of his ground game, but it's not that he's been tightening. Like, let, let's make a clarification here. He's still going to get taken down, Jose Johnson, but he's probably a little bit less likely to get submitted than he would have been back in the day, and he's getting better at scrambling out of bad spots. So I do think Garrett Arnfield is going to get takedowns here, what happens after those takedowns? That's where it's like, that's where, you, I'm not sure. That's like where the big, like, kind of like with Brendan Allen and Muniz. We know Muniz is going to take him down, but what happens after that? We know Garrett Armfield's going to take down Johnson, but what happens after that? I'm not sure. If it's like the contender series fight, well, Jose Johnson can scramble back up to his feet, reverse some positions, you know, get some dominant spots of his own um you know if if it's not like that he can possibly get laid on you know so i don't know i don't know and usually when i don't know i take the dog and i will take the dog but it's tough to bet on the dog like on principle if your pure pick is a dog you should bet the dog just on principle the thing is the way he loses this fight is like the most frustrating way to lose a bet period which is when your guy gets taken down can't do shit, can't get back up, and you're like, oh, my fucking God. Like, seriously? Like, really? Like, this is happening? Like, aren't we past this over 20 fights into our career? So that's the way we lose this bet. Um, But the way you'd win is, you know, reverses a position, gets back up, starts to make Garrett feel a little tired, and then the takedowns come, you know, the entries come from a little further away. They come a little slower. You start lighting them up a little bit. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go jose johnson but yeah usually like i said usually when i pure pick a dog i'll bet the dog too it's just i know the way he loses his fight is the most terrible way to lose a bet like i'd rather my guy get starched in the first minute you know than get grinded out for three rounds and not even look like he's doing anything you know like wow it's like wow you bet on that guy because you got caught early you can just be like hey he got caught early we don't know what, what would have happened if the fight would have got extended right even though i'm not an excuse maker but that's just kind of a lot of people's mindset like you don't know what would happen whereas this one i can see that extended fight where he loses and those are the worst though that's where there's like an error in your handicapping when you bet a guy and he just gets laid on for three straight rounds um yeah so i'm gonna pick jose but not confidently um but anyways we'll talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch you know i haven't bet anything yet on this card the only things that i was interested in betting i want the charles johnson line to get better and i want to bet that and then i want to fade the grown man that twerks uh too you know i want to bet on the carlos diego black belt against like a, a grown man that twerks uh, All right. <laughs> yeah exactly ghost gardener said f- the 15 minutes screaming of get up here right like exactly i'm not trying to deal with that bullshit. i'm really not all right let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch then i'm down to answer anything y'all got for me and then i'm gonna get out of here so the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 70, I mean, honestly, guys, you know what it is. It's the main event. I mean, like, listen, I, I'm not trying to be lame and pick a main event and act like lazy like I don't know the other fights, but like, I already told y'all, Nikita Krylov has 27 finishes in 29 fights. Excuse me, 27 finishes and 29 wins. Ryan Spann has 18 finishes in 21 wins like this is an all violence main event. This is an all-star attraction for violence. If you like violence, you like Nikita Krilov and if you love violence, you like Nikita Krilov versus Ryan Span. I mean, for these guys to make the crowd boo, it would have to be the most uncharacteristic performance that we've ever seen on either side. Like even if one guy's trying to be boring, the other the other guy's not, for both guys to fight boring here would be a shock to the system and it's beautiful to see, uh, Nikita Kurlov in a UFC main event, you, you know, things you love to see Nikita Kurlov in a UFC main event. So for that reason, Kurlov or span is my fight to watch a fighter to watch is Charles Johnson, man. I mean, I think I explained why earlier, like this guy's coming into the UFC as a champion in another organization and he fights like a champion. I mean, got up from every single takedown against, uh, Mokaev, even attacked Mokaev with a nasty, Uh, submission that that guillotine that power guillotine man i'm telling you he's gonna get some other people with that i love how clean his striking is um i love how hard it is to hit this guy and i like his willingness to fight man i mean he wants to be the most active flyweight on the roster i heard an interview with him he said he wants to fight six times this year like hey (laughs) like i like this guy it's like uh remember on scarface when um when uh tony montana met lopez for the first time right they they just killed Rebenga. um they bring him the coke they bring him the money and um you know lopez like you know told he was telling him thank you you know about that Rebenga hit and this and that and um tony's like you know, I, I kill a communist for fun. That was fun. And then Lopez is like, that was fun. That was fun. You know, look at this guy, right? Like, that's how I feel about Charles Johnson. Oh, you want six fights? All right, we're dealing We're dealing with, uh, with a serious guy here. So Charles Johnson is my fighter to watch. All right. Anyways, I, I, I should have given you all a, a faster, better explanation of the Scarface example. But next time. Anyways, leave me your questions, your comments. I'm going to get to those now. And then I'm going to get out of here. My boy Alex said, another week, another breakdown. This is correct. This is correct. And we're we're starting to get a little momentum on our side. Blanchfield and uh, Jack Jenkins back to back now. Now we just got to go on a little streak here. My boy Dominic said he's back at it like a crack addict. He also said those Aaron haters are awfully quiet. They sure are, aren't they? Hey, how, how about my girl Aaron on the feet, too? Let's not even talk about that Mata Leon rear naked choke. Let's talk about my girl Blanchfield on the feet. You know what I'm saying? Um, Leon Goat said, Man, is it that cold at your place? Bro, ATL, they might call it hot Lanta, but it is unpredictable Lanta because one day it's 70 degrees, the next day it's minus 70, right? So it's, uh, yeah, it's unpredictable here, but I'm I'm very, very comfy with what I'm wearing. Thank you for asking. Got Rob. What's up, Rob? What's up, Clint? What's up, Equinomis? <laughs> what up, bro? Um, let's see what else y'all got. Um, a lot of y'all got Krylov. Okay, I understand that. Lance said, "Am I cold? J- just my heart, my boy. Just my heart." Um, <laughs> Doughboy nasty says, "Dad has that casting couch behind him." Yeah, we're gonna have to gonna have to make some uh, see what kind of prospects we got this weekend lined up. You know what I'm saying? And take it from there, and hopefully not leave the camera on, right? Um, let's see. Oh yeah, Sean V said, "Horrible narrative to actually believe that." Ryan Span is just now taking training seriously. I agree. It's just talk is cheap. You know what I'm saying, bro? It's just like people believing that uh, Max Holloway did a champ camp on a Zoom call. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I believe you, but my Tommy gun don't, you know? Um, Jack said, Krylov is a much better fighter, but I never bet against Safe Sayud. He's an unreal cornerman. Yeah. And the line, I don't think there's much value on the Krylov line. I'm good on that um but sean said coach safe isn't going to help spans durability or gas tank this is true coach safe cannot fight for him very very true um <laughs> preston says fight iq or ego i don't know what it is but alan 100 percent thinks he can submit muniz if he you know if he fights that way it's not going to look good but if he comes in here with the right game plan he's a live dog he said brendan has that jimmy crew brain oh man oh man um Jack said Allen is tempting at plus 200, but his takedown defense is terrible. You got to rely on him to outscramble Muniz. Muniz is good at getting the back. All factual, all factual. For Brandon Allen to win, he has to make Muniz work, 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 work to the point where Muniz is fatigued, where the takedowns are not no longer there. Brandon Allen does have an advantage standing. Um, let's see. Dirty Reg said the line is where none of us should play it at all. Tatiana wins, though probably i mean she's minus 750 yeah she better win right um let's see you got anything else for me if not uh, i'm getting out of here some stuff joe concurs that trevor is a peak fade going forward yes sir yes sir maybe 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 not this weekend but soon but maybe this weekend you never know um Hold on, there's one thing I wanted to read. Someone asking me about how how do I not back twerkers? I'm from Atlanta. Hold on, let me find that comment. Anyways. um, Oh, here we go. Dom said, living in Atlanta, I thought you'd be pro twerk. I am pro twerk, just not when it comes to someone I'm trying to bet on. I'm pro twerk when I go to Magic City. I'm pro twerk when we're talking about the casting couch. I'm not pro twerk when we're talking about someone that I'm putting my hard-earned money on to go win a fight. Put my hard-earned money on to shake your ass hey all good but to to, to win a ufc fight nah nah dog <laughs> i'm good on that you know what i mean um my boy random marco says i was late to the party why aren't you in on the grown man that twerks fade already do you think we'll get an even better line well, i mean the line got better as we were recording the show went from minus 115 to minus 106. we, we don't we don't force bets we we try to get the best line possible at all times like like i said last week with hernandez and miller it's fun to talk all that shit about hernandez but you guys got to understand talk is cheap like at the end of the day all that matters is the line now i would have made a losing bet if i got the plus two something on miller i wanted but fact of the matter is i never got that line so i never made that bet and i never lost so um the line is the most important thing at the end of the day you know it's fun to come on here and talk and Talk about a twerker, talk about a pocket thesaurus, talk about this, talk about a stunt pull or whatever. All that's fun to talk about, but there's nothing fun about losing money. There's nothing fun about getting the worst of the line. Okay. So at the end of the day, you know, you got to be able to separate the commentary, the jokes, the talk with like actually being serious, getting the best number possible, and you know, exercising proper money management, which I still pride myself on. I didn't let any emotions towards Hernandez influence how I bet absolutely not backstabber damn what a what a name bro he said what line would you set for a flyaway bout between clayton carpenter and tatsura tyra um i'd make tyra minus 500. and i like clayton it's nothing against him it's just i think tyra is ahead of him right now um uh, my boy the stub lord said dan has a knack for spotting up and coming champs i appreciate that dom said dan you've been in on the new south park season i have not but i I love me some south park i got some of the old school dvds in my collection always a fan (laughs) he also says he loves the shade being thrown at marcourt and he brought it upon himself man i mean come on bro (laughs) i can go on about that oh okay anton okay and on he said my boy mike puffy borden is the greatest american drummer of all time mike borden he plays with faith no more one of my favorite bands so I don't think he's the best rock drummer of all time. I think he's an amazing rock drummer, though. But I will say this. The singer of that band, the singer of that band, Mike Patton, he's the best rock singer of all time. I mean, if you listen to, like, Incubus, like Brandon Boyd, guess who Brandon Boyd's biggest influence is? Like, guess who all these guys' biggest influence is? Mike Patton. He's the best rock singer of all time. If you know, you know. SC said, what about Vanessa Demopoulos?" You know, we got love for my girl, Vanessa. Um... Keith Moon, you know, you know, you gotta give a shout out to my boy Keith Moon, the legend. Hey, uh, my my brother plays in a heavy metal band called Doth. It's D A A T H, and they just dropped a new track today called No Rest No End, and it's like the best metal song I've ever heard in my life. So y'all should check that out. It's fucking awesome shit. Um, so check out my brother's band Doth D A A T H. Just dropped their new track tonight. Uh, today, it's it's out everywhere. It's called No Rest, No End. It's so fucking heavy, so badass. Drums, the guitar solos, vocals, everything. The songwriting. If you you like good heavy metal or good hard rock, you will like this. So check it out. Anyways, guys, thank you all so much for all the support you all have shown me. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, After this is over, leave me a comment. Feel free to share. Feel free to tweet. Whatever. I truly appreciate it. All the help you all have given me, all the love, means a lot to me. It truly does. And uh, let's have some fun Saturday night. Let's go out there, and get another win, and let's let's keep this momentum going. You know, Aaron Blanchfield was a big win for us, and but that's in the past now. It's time to move forward. So thank you guys again very, very much for everything. I truly appreciate it. Enjoy the Krylov vs. Span all-violence main event. And until the next time, let's cash these bets!